You are listening to the On the Path podcast with Dr. Chuck Kyle. Uh, For those of you who are just joining us on episode six, Charlie Kyle is a published author, ethnomusicologist, and was the professor at SUNY Buffalo for many, many years, Uh, a teacher of all ages, um, a big part of why I am involved in music to this day. Um, And we are very happy on Charlie's podcast to have a very special guest today. Um, I'm very lucky to call both of these intelligent folks friends and community members. Today we have Victoria Alexander, who I know is Tori. Um, First and foremost, she's a wonderful mom for one of my students, Lucian, um, as well as a literary fiction novelist. Uh, I read and enjoyed her book, Locus Aminus, about a young man um, who loses his father in 9-11. She's a philosopher of science. She travels the world lecturing about biosemiotics, which I won't even begin to try to explain. And she recently traveled to St. Petersburg uh, with a Fulbright Fulbright grant to do her research and teach at the University ITMO there. So, Tori, thank you for being here. Thank you. That's St. Petersburg, Russia. Did I? I didn't say Florida, I hope. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Um, So, I'm just the moderator. I'm going to get out of their way and uh, let Charlie introduce our topic of discussion, and he's going to ask Tori some questions, and then she's going to ask him some questions towards the end. Or in the next episode, if we go to a half-hour episode. Um, I'm really happy and, um, I would even say delighted to get into libertarianism as a, an issue in itself, because it's been there for me all my life as a kind of an option, the third party. And if I can't go find a green candidate... I can always vote for a libertarian. And in fact, I voted for the libertarian candidate for president this last time around mm-hmm. because I was a little bored with uh-huh. who, Joe. Who wasn't our best. <laughs> I don't know. I, she was promising no income tax, and that really mm-hmm. appealed mm-hmm. to me because yeah. I've been refusing to pay mm-hmm. my federal income taxes now for the last 12 years. And you're not since afraid 2008. to say so. Big pardon? And you're not afraid to say so. No, I'm <laughs> trying to be as public mm-hmm. about it as I can mm-hmm. because that's the only defense I have against mm-hmm. um, tax harassment mm-hmm. or, or a, somebody coming after me. So I've now distanced myself to be non-cooperating. I'm not filing a form, signing it, and refusing to pay. I'm just ignoring the whole IRS mm-hmm. system, which I feel is a very libertarian thing to be doing. So I I love the idea of libertarian in its raw meaning of liberty, Mm -hmm. freedom of everything, freedom to do everything that doesn't harm somebody else or Mother Nature. Mm -hmm. And of course, the Mother Nature angle now separates me from what is conventionally Mm -hmm. called libertarianism. So my first question to you is, what motivated you to be libertarian enough to be a candidate mm-hmm. for a Congress. I was very impressed with that fact that you wanted to run for Congress as a libertarian. The first time I ran was in 2018. And I was a member of both the Green Party and the Libertarian Party. And I probably attended a lot more Green Party meetings and had Green Party friends. And I asked both parties to put me on their ballot line. Neat, yeah. very neat. Um, I I am not a conventional libertarian or a conventional green. Um, I have kind of a you know 
eclectic mix of different policies. And um, I, I presented to both parties, and for both of them, I made sure that nothing, none of the policy, policies that I was advocating disagreed with their fundamental values. Mm-hmm. The Greens told me to go away if I was <laughs> going to have um, a libertarian endorsement, too. And the libertarian said, fine, you can be green, you know, you can be whatever you want as long right. as you don't force people to do you know, X, Y, and Z. Interesting. So Very I ended up as a libertarian. <laughs> I get it. And not, you would have chosen to have the endorsement of both parties. Both parties, yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I, I care about um, Democrats and Republicans and Greens and Libertarians and any anyone, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, conservatives, um, independents, everybody yep. needs a voice. And um, I, I ran um, promoting direct democracy, more, you know, things like referendums and recall. I think uh, my, my slogan was decentralize the power. Beautiful. However you want to see mm-hmm. concentration of power, whether it's in regulatory agencies, whether it's in the executive branch, whether it's in corporations, concentrated power is always corrupting. Um, I agree 100% so far with what Tori is saying. 100%. I mean, it really feels very good that you wanted to get the Green nomination and very damning of the, on the, the Greens that they wouldn't see this as a wonderful opportunity to, to test drive. Kind yeah, of to, to say to, that we can work together yeah. over our shared interests. I've been yeah. pushing for that for a long time. The only Green, and it, well, it's the only Green magazine now, is Green Horizon published out of Maine, and that's the one place where I feel really comfortable expressing myself, putting forward ideas, making my financial contributions to help it keep going. And they have a kind of slightly, they try to be centrist greens, because this is the one magazine, but the it's older men who are running it, and I think they're, you know, my kind of conserving uh, mm-hmm. spirit is part of their definition of what it means to be green with the 10 mm-hmm. green values and all of that. So it sounds very sensible to me to be asking for both parties to support you as someone who has a variety of positions on issues, et cetera. Yeah, the one thing that the Greens brought up is they didn't, they don't take any corporate money, and they felt that the libertarians don't have that, um, you know, as mm-hmm. a... They, they do accept corporate money, but they don't get any. <laughs> so they chuckled over that because we don't have any corporate money. I mean, I think the, the, the Koch brothers at some point were libertarians yeah. in the 80s, but all the libertarians I know try to distance themselves from that kind of right, corporate right. corporatism. But they did sell out. Mm. And one of the reasons I'm not, sure, yeah, sure. not a libertarian or wouldn't call myself just a libertarian today is that they, it, like the American Civil Liberties Union, the leftish organization, the Libertarian Party as a rightish organization, as we perceive it, they both accepted the definition of the corporation as a person and money as free speech. And those two things are the, big, the two biggest lies that precede Trump's big lie and and really poisonous as far as I'm concerned. I stopped giving money to the ACLU. I stopped having any pretense of wanting to support the Libertarian Party as such because they accepted basically the 
Supreme Court's corruption of um, accepting a corporation as a person, mm-hmm. and that that person mm-hmm. can have unlimited expenditure and mm-hmm. call it free speech. Both of those things seem crazy to me, and part of the corruption, a big part of the corruption. Uh, yeah, what was the name of that lawsuit? Um, it was a, uh, that decided that issue. It was a nonprofit corporation that made a documentary, unflattering documentary about Hillary Clinton and the Clintons and their corruption and their involvement in the drug trade. And they argued that as a nonprofit corporation, they had freedom of speech, freedom of political speech. And mm-hmm. so you you can kind of see why you want a nonprofit corporation to be able to say that they have free speech rights. Yeah. But then when it's when that decision which was fair enough on the part of the the court was taken to the level to now, you know, uh, any corp, you know, for-profit corporation is has the same rights as a person. Um, of course, a corporation is a creature of the state, created by the state. The laws and regulations exist on paper. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, you're not a natural-born being or creature that has natural rights, whether or not a state exists. Uh, so, um, you know, it's just a, a ridiculous analogy to say that a corporation, like a body, has the same kind of rights as a human being. Right. But this is all the problem of concentrated power. We wouldn't have any of this if our if our mm-hmm. government weren't, you know, intent on concentrating power in, in, in the government, now in the executive branch, where the executive branch can um, rule by decree, um, you don't have to bother with Congress anymore. Congress doesn't have to bother with voters anymore. You know. It's a, it's a pretty sad situation it, from that point of view of uh, yeah, it, concentration it, of power because it's so total. Our, our government is completely rogue mm-hmm. at this point. <clears throat> completely out In relation control. to the rest of the world? Well, n- and, no, and, all governments yeah. have, have been co-opted by this public-private partnership. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, which is corporatism, which is corporate rule. Yeah. Um, it's the fascist state that um, mm-hmm. uh, Mussolini described. And I think that a, a lot of liber- the some of the blame for that can be laid at the feet of libertarians who, you know, I, I know Ron Paul, who I like very much, said, well, there's nothing wrong with a big corporation. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how big they get. Well, in, in, and then he would go on to critique it's just when a government subsidizes and plays favorites to a corporation that you don't have a free market, and that sets up a corporation to have too much power, like Amazon. Uh, but you don't agree with that, no, right? yeah, no, no. I, I think um, whatever political structures are in place that encourage and um, you know help corporations to become larger and more powerful and to merge with each other. It's not enough just to have regulations to try to undo that. You have to make sure that you don't have policies that encourage that in the first place. Mm -hmm. So preventive measures from letting any corporation be too big. Well, not preventive measures. You know, the Federal Reserve Mm -hmm. prints money, basically, and, and the commercial banks decide who to give that basically free money to. They mm-hmm. give it to the large, powerful corporations. Right. 
And so the government has allowed the Federal Reserve to be set up in that way. And we, when we get a loan, we have to pay you know, pretty, pretty high interest. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. very difficult for us to apply for the loan. And, and, and we have an asset used as collateral. Well, the wealthy people have none of that. Right. They can you know, borrow billions of dollars and then inflate the stock market with it, and all their friends make a lot of money. Yep. So it's, these, it's this type of um, collusion of government and corporations that create these large, powerful organizations that we need to get rid of the Federal Reserve. And, that's, and that, that's a bold stroke. Was, was the candidate for president, yes, I forget her name. Joe Jorgensen, yes, yes. of course. Did Joe want to have the Federal Reserve abolished? Uh-huh, of course. Good. I think that, you know, first they say, let's audit it. You know, why, why mess around? We know it's a completely criminal organization, and it's a private, it's a, it's a private corporation with stockholders. People, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for a long time, people were in denial that this was some sort of government institution because it's called the Federal Reserve. Right. It, it, it's... Are there stockholders in the Federal yes. Reserve? Yes. I didn't know you could. Yes. You could. I can buy a share of stock. It's the commercial banks. Yes. Ooh. That's interesting, but not not they in the Federal even... Reserve itself, but in the commercial banks that they they fund. Yes, they have stockholders. It's a private corporation. The, the Federal, Federal Reserve. Reserve. It is not a governmental um, institution at How all. How much is it a share? I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> I want to buy in just to know what's right. happening. Well, the plan is now to get rid of all commercial banks, community banks, you know, J.P. Morgan, Citibank, get rid of all the commercial banks, and everyone will put their money in the central bank, in the United States, in the Federal Reserve, in Europe, in the European Central Bank. And, um, you know, this is, they're going to use this as an excuse saying, well, the, it's the banks that are corrupt. Mm. Um, so we're going to get rid of all commercial banks, and everyone is going to have their money in the central bank, and the central bank will be completely controlled by the central bankers, and it'll all be digital. Central bank, digital currency. Whose plan is this? This is the Libertarian Party's plan? or No, the, no. <laughs> it doesn't sound no, like... <laughs> it sounds like concentration of power. Right, yeah. It's, it's the so bank, what's the alternative The to Bank this? for Inter International Settlements, the International Monetary Fund, all the large, the World Economic Forum, all the large banking institutions are now saying this is what we have to do because the entire economic, global economic system is on the verge of collapse and they are just creating reserve money to inflate it and keep mm -hmm. it going for just a few more months. So uh, the libertarian solution to this proposal is what? Um, well, complete you know, decentralization. Like our, uh, decentralization, you would have, you know, your, your local community banks. Right. Um, which, that's it. Bank of Millbrook, for example, wasn't part of the bailout in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, the local banks and credit unions, which are excellent types of banking institutions, uh, tend to be uh, less given to fraud. I mean, they have to make sure that they um, don't, you know, careful who they loan money to. And community banks often make their decisions on who they know in the community. Someone like Johnny is a well-known member of the community, and they have faith in him that he'll... Uh, run a successful business, right. but on paper to Citibank, he may not have 
uh, you know, look the same to a banker. So community banks are extremely important. Yes. Okay, I get it. I get it. A quick I'm, Google I'm, uh, says, no stock in any Federal Reserve Bank has ever been sold to the public, to foreigners, or to any non-bank U.S. firm. These member banks must maintain fractional reserves either as vault currency or on account as its reserve bank. Does that speak to its, if you can buy stock in the Federal Reserve? No, uh, it's not publicly traded. Right. Mm, um, they did away with the fractional reserve um, at the beginning of the COVID crisis, though. They no longer have the 10% reserve. Right. I just heard on the radio this morning, how are we doing for time? Are we in the... We're about 15 minutes in, Charlie. So you, that was Great. your first question, or did you want to move on to question two? Uh, well, um, I've stopped numerating. <laughs> I'm just thinking about where to take this next. The one thing I wanted to observe was that the Federal Reserve is now buying billions upon billions of dollars of U.S. bonds, which seems to me like a conflict of interest, or that's even putting it mildly, that's talk about consolidation of power. It's the Federal Reserve that's propping up Propping up everything. Ev- everything. The best person to um, learn about what's going on with the Federal Reserve right now is a guy named John Titus who has a YouTube channel called Best Evidence. Mm. And uh, it is a, a, a completely criminal enterprise. What they're doing right now, they're preparing for a major economic collapse where uh, one in seven homes being sold right now are being bought up by BlackRock. Mm. Um, it's, the hu- it's the largest transfer of wealth um, from the middle class to the billionaire class Wow. Ever in human history, of course, but in the last 18 months or so, it's just been mm-hmm. incredible. So, you know, buckle up. We're, <laughs> we're uh, in for a, bu- a bumpy ride. And I want to say one other thing, a, a, a little bit different kind of libertarianism. There's issues of, uh, of fiat money and mm-hmm. um, whether or not a government can create fiat money. Um, my libertarian friends put up with me saying this kind of thing, but I advocate instead of taxing people to build schools and roads and hospitals and so forth, that you use fiat money. And as long as you use fiat money, like you just created out of out of thin, thin air, air mm-hmm. but you pay someone to do work and build a building that is an actual asset. So that's better than gold in the bank. Because mm-hmm. gold just sits there and guarantees right. something, but an actual school or a hospital is an asset that the entire community can use. So you instantly create wealth in the community and better health in the community. So no taxes. Well, how do you pay for things? Well, fiat money. And then, and then in order to in- avoid inflation, which you won't get really that quickly, because when you pay people to perform services or provide goods then you have lots of goods and services to buy and and you don't get inflation you get inflation when you pay money to sit home and collect unemployment or ubi and do nothing yeah you got a lot of money circulating and no goods and services to buy so that creates inflation but um if you do get some inflation by um you know building too many hospitals and too many wonderful roads and too many <laughs> great parks and wonderful museums or whatever if you do get too much money in circulation then you tax the top 1% yeah. 10%. You don't mm-hmm. tax 
ordinary waiters. That's crazy. Yeah. We're trying yeah. to take care of our families. So mm-hmm. you would only need tax to sort of let the steam out a little bit. That was that's yeah. only only All this sounds very reasonable. God knows what would happen if it were put into practice, but it does sound perfectly reasonable and uh, I'm agreeing the, the, with everything that The I'm Green Party in is the behind age. that type of it, the 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 American Monetary Institute put together a um a bill that Dennis Kucinich promoted which described this kind of infrastructure bill right. or how you would fund infrastructure um so and the other uh the other type of ideology that I borrow and bring into my libertarianism is Henry George's mm-hmm. idea of land tax single tax system well um you know, no one should own more than their fair share of the finite resources on this planet, and that is land, water, um, you know, uh, minerals, and so forth, because those need to be here for future generations, right? right? They're not, you, you don't, you're only here, you know, for less than 100 years. You don't get to own it. It's, it belongs mm-hmm. to everybody in the future and now. Um, so what I think should be done there, this is kind of a modification of, of Henry George, is that everyone should be able to own an average size piece of property to, to live, to run their business tax-free. Mm-hmm. And then if you own more than that, then you pay property tax on that right. excess amount. Sounds reasonable. That and was, adjustable. And that, adjustable, depending on what the average size sure. is. Certainly for farmers, it would be different. You know, if you're, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have five acres, but I farm all of it and I grow food. So maybe I would get a, you know, tax break or something. Right. Um, but there are, you know, common sense solutions. But, you know, that would stop the hoarding of land mm-hmm. and natural resources mm-hmm. and the speculation. Because many people... Um, you know, own, you know, huge parts of inner city and do nothing with it. Just let it sit there because they're going to, they're hoping that prices will go up and they can flip it and make, Mm -hmm. make Mm -hmm. money off of it, but they don't use it. Yeah. There are all these, what, what, um, you could call ilf occurrences, ilf being accumulated that doesn't do anything. It just sits Mm -hmm, there mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. eddies in the great flow of cash and currencies and so on and just doesn't produce anything, doesn't work for anything. My dad used to go to sleep at night praying that Henry George would never be successful in persuading people of his system. of you know, Because he said, we own this real estate that the lumber company is on. The lumber company is doing all the work, making uh-huh. the money, supplying reliable source of supply was their motto. And he said, when I'm in the lumber head, Think we're doing great work when I realize that the price of this land that we have the lumber company on is going up, up, up because it's in Darien, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And that completely irrational. What did we do to make this land so uh, so valuable? Put a lumber company on it? Well, then shouldn't the lumber company be making the money and paying the taxes if needed? And why is it that we're rich? Just because we have this piece of land and location, yeah. Location, one of the things that he's doing magic. Henry George was very enlightened about is, um, you know, 
this property that we're at right now is really valuable because the music cellar is right next to the, the rail trail and in the center of town. Mm-hmm. Um, the original owner um, didn't create the wealth of of the town, you know, by virtue of the fact that you happen to be around a community, what you own has more value. Mm-hmm. So Henry George thought, well, you know, you should be taxed on that, you know, because you, you, your, your property is worth more because it's near town. But if you have the same amount outside, then you're not benefiting on what the community contributes. Right. Um, I think there can be some problem with that when gentrification sets in. You know, if you have a, a, a guy who's run a shoe repair shop for 40 years and he doesn't own his his property um, and he can't pay the rent anymore when the neighborhood gets gentrified and then he gets, you know, has to go, move somewhere else and then the community loses that valuable resource of this shoemaker being there. So, you know... All these solutions have yep. problems to them. Right, right, <laughs> it's right. very complicated. I I kind of think that you know, uh, you know, let's say Johnny's property gets, uh, you know, increases in value, doubles in value in the next year or so. Should he be taxed at a higher rate because of that, um, or or should he stay at his current level of taxation because he is one of the community members? who helped make this community what it is. And he kind of deserves to. um, And only the local community can decide this. That's why direct democracy, radical decentralism, makes any of these ideologies work or not work. Mm -hmm. That's how you test the ideologies Mm -hmm. against reality Mm -hmm. is, is it good for Johnny? You know, is it Uh good for Tori? Is it good for Uh Chuck? Does the sovereign citizen hypothetical uh-huh. these days have a say in how to evaluate the the contribution that the music seller makes to Millerton mm-hmm. is that ever going to get registered in any meaningful mm-hmm. way in a public space public yeah you have to come up with a bureaucracy that decides those sort of things and a formula for deciding that and then in you know or regular bureauc- town meetings or, or regular something. town meetings and bureaucracies are like stupidity because it's you know you're like a monkey just following the instructions and you're not thinking for yourself and bureaucracies are necessary to uh, override irrational town groups that suddenly decide someone who's valuable to the community <laughs> is not worth anything. You know, it's, you know, yeah. life is hard. Right. Tricky. <laughs> We're not going to. Talk more. Mm-hmm. But I wish a lot of these decisions could be made at the local level. The Greens right. are good for that yep. kind of discussion. You know. Their 10 key values are all pivoting, mm-hmm. on, in my right. mind, on localism and decentralization. And yeah. All the things you're talking about. And you were asking the two possible parties for the endorsement. I'm still stuck with the wisdom of that. You know, that's so good. I'm very happy with the fact that we, in this first half-hour episode, have... Um, Pulled a lot of good thinking out of your head, Tori. It's wonderful to hear you talking about the ways that these things are nuanced, subtle, and yet there's some very simple principles that are radical and cut right to the core of what we need to do to turn this whole global globalism around 
in a sense, so that we're all thinking, thinking globally they're, and really acting locally, but we're not doing the local actions that need well, the, to... The rights of the individual is so important, mm -hmm. not because we need to let everybody just do whatever the hell they want. I don't care about oh, mm -hmm. you know, safeguarding that. Um, if we don't protect the individual, then the individual can't um, can't learn, can't ask questions, can't grow, can't take responsibility. And only when you have individual freedom and the ability to learn and really experiment and try things out, do you have a, a healthy collective good? Right. And, and I'll, I'll say, too, that I come to libertarianism and all this because I'm a complex systems researcher. Mm -hmm. And I study how creativity and adaptation and evolutionary processes occurs. So I wanted to apply that to politics because sure. I know that I intelligence isn't executive top-down function. Mm -hmm. The best um, way that I have to describe the work that I do, Johnny, in, in biosemiotics is um, self-organization. You know what a you know what a starling murmuration looks like the flocking of the birds and the way they yeah. fly and they move and they create they, these these for us on the ground amazing visual designs where all of a sudden they're all pivoting at the same time and it looks yes. like one unified it right. looks like one unified there is no executive director that's self organization and it's a reaction diffusion process that that is causing this and and your brain actually functions using reaction diffusion processes. There is no executive function in your brain mm -hmm. making the decisions or filtering anything. It's a reaction diffusion process. Literally, I think quite literally, yes, if you look at a, a murmuration, you can have some idea of how you make decisions. And how Say you that make. word again. Murmuration. That's the, the word for the flocking of a starling. Wow. I didn't it's know there was that word. Yeah. We'll put a video word? of it. Oh yeah, we'll put yeah. a video of it in uh, in the podcast. Ooh, yeah. Nice. So, <laughs> so if you think of you know that's the way that nature finds new solutions. Mm -hmm. It appears to act as one. It appears intelligent and like it knows what it's doing and it's making decisions, but it's it's this collective action, not collective in in any kind of. Um, you know, like averaging yeah. of, you know, statistical averages. Mm -hmm. That's stupidity in a way, you know, taking the average of things. Um, <clears throat> when you have self-organization, it's not just an average of all the actions, but self-organization allows for those idiosyncratic weird right, things right. to take hold and spread. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and to become repeated over and over again mm -hmm. for the fun of it. Uh, I, I, the only thing I can add to those starlings or whatever is that um, David Graeber and way before him Hudson, the naturalist, talked about the common glad impulse and that every species from a slime mold to cattle stampeding for the fun of it, that every species has its mode of having a good time and f birds flocking together and making these patterns, you had names for it. I've got to learn those names, um, is every species has this. Ants make mock war. 
I, inchworms just jump from plant to plant for the fun of it, as far as anybody can see. The cockatoo bounces up and down on the couch. The crow is, climbs up and slides down. Snowball. I, ha- I have had so <laughs> many arguments with um, evolutionary biologists who, who want to say, what is this for? Why are they You're using right. this murmur? Is it to get rid of ho- escape predation and so forth? They're playing. To drop ticks? What, what are they doing <laughs> they're up there? They're playing. That's what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, they're having a hell of a time. And so self-organization, um, uh, new forms and new kinds of activities emerge. And maybe you'll find a function for them later. But the first thing is that playful sort of self-organized, irrational kind mm-hmm. of behavior mm-hmm. that, that may or may not be functional later. So mm-hmm. I'm so glad that you thought of that immediately because they are playing. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, that's gotten to be my first principle. I mm-hmm. want to rename us Humo, not Homo, not all same. Humo, humorous, humus. <laughs> Humo ludens, playful, collaborants. We're funny, playful collaborators at our mm-hmm. very core and not Homo sapsap, all the same. We know, we know, we know so much, we can control everything. I like that. So. Nabokov said the first human um, appeared the the first time a caveman made a joke. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Because uh, we we see ourselves as humorous, and I think some other creatures do too. Otters are playing so much of the time, and so many so many critters uh, <laughs> are um, are living to play. It seems like that they must share this kind of consciousness with us—a sense of humor and. I don't know what otter humor or or rat laughter is about. Do you know about rat laughter? The rats are making noises that make only sense if you if you've got a sense of humor. They snicker and they you know they have make little noise patterns that are, have to do with being tickled or being um, amused by what they're doing. Wow. It seems like my most recent paper was on comparing slime mold creativity to. Uh, to bots, AI bots, and we found um, in our research that slime mold um, is is much more creative because they can make these kind of creative mistakes that you could call sort of like jokes and puns. They're, wow. they're capable of creating puns. And you know, slime mold is about as low a form of life it, as you can get. It doesn't have any nerves. Right, yeah. but it explodes. Yeah. It, they, mm-hmm. they, all these little pieces of mold kind of come flow together at some point. And when they reach critical mass, they go poof, and they start new slime molds. And that poof in, in Hudson, I think I got this from Hudson, that little explosion that happens is their happy happy moment, their common glad <coughs> impulse. And when you see ants or slime molds or, you know, wow, how many, how many ways to be happy mm-hmm. or to have a glad moment are there? Play is important. I think play... There could be a function found in play. Maybe it's a social glue or a way of collaborating mm-hmm. and connecting. Um, the, the, I love that Nabokov quote. There's a Bill Hicks bit where he um, pretends to be a, a proto-human or an early ape who eats psilocybin mushrooms and then starts laughing. And he ends his whole skit, his whole uh, show by saying, that's exactly how it happened. <laughs> but anyway, back to uh, libertarianism. Do you have any final questions? I think you wanted to ask Tori about Soros. Is that true? Yeah, but I think we should save, save that for it. Okay. We, this has been a perfect conversation as far as I'm concerned because I'm getting great answers to 
and Simple we clearly questions. have a lot more to talk about. And so, Tori, to we about. thank you so much for joining us. We hope you'll come back soon um, for yeah, several more you. episodes.